0: Welcome to
1: The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to The Table, we discuss issues of God and culture. Uh, Our topic today is ministry, global ministry, and we're talking to representatives of BEE, uh, and this is David Simmelbeck, Larry Knees, John and Natalie McLaughlin, who are uh, with us today. And I guess the first question, when I hear BEE, I think buzz and hives. So um, so tell me, uh, first of all, what does BEE stand for? And, and then we'll talk a little bit about your own personal background in ministry, and then we'll get into what it is BEE does. So, David, so I'll let you lead off what? In the world does BEE stand for? Well, BEE
3: stands for Biblical Education by Extension. Every once in a while, we get uh, phone calls to help people with B problems, but we're trying (laughs) to specifically come alongside and help equip pastors and leaders for the church around the world. We have a focus on regions of the world with restricted or limited access to biblical training, And so we bring biblical education, leadership development, so it's not just head information and a model of multiplication to serve the leadership needs of the church.
2: And and Larry, uh, uh, well, first of all, David, why don't you tell them what your role in BEE is before I turn to Larry?
3: It depends on who you ask. I'm called uh, El Presidente by many. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just a figurehead. I'm I'm here for the looks.
2: There you go. I can. That's so transparent. I can hardly stand it. Uh, uh, Larry, what's your role in Bee? And then tell us a little bit about the history of Bee. Yeah,
4: um, my name is Larry, and my role is a vice president of field ministry. So I oversee all of our international fields. I began to work with uh, Bee back in 1985, uh, behind the Iron Curtain, going into Romania, and have. Kind of traveled with them and served in different capacities, and uh, so B began back in uh, early 1970s, where there was an effort to pull together these partnering. Actually, they weren't partnering at the time, but different agencies going in the Eastern Europe to try to meet the desperate needs that for the church to encourage them and to train them, and they came together and said in Austria and said you know, we need to stop duplicating this. Let's put it all together. So actually, BEE International was our original name. And we were born in a partnership entity with about uh, 12, 15 different partners that were coming together to provide this training.
2: So, um, and, and just to be clear for people who may whose knowledge of history may be limited or who suffer from forms of dementia. Uh, uh, This is before the wall came down and Eastern Europe was all communist bloc oriented, so you were ministering in a very restricted context.
4: Yes, it it was uh, very restricted and a number of countries that we engaged during that time and some of those countries are still using BEE, they have their own Uh, organization like uh, BEE Romania is going strong. And so the whole idea of serving the church and in a way that the field itself, those nationals in these different countries would now take on ownership of the vision and carry it on has uh, succeeded in several of the countries that we were involved in. That's
2: that's great to hear. I have my own history with uh, Romania. I was literally in the country six weeks after Ceaușescu was ousted and taking relief into the orphanage. It happened to be a sabbatical year when I was in Germany, and we took a truck in, and I have a lot of experience with Romania. In fact, I was on a call yesterday to Romania talking to students at some universities who are not believers but had questions about Jesus. So I'm very interested in that part of the world and the kind of work that you all obviously spent decades building uh, in, in doing. Work. Now, John McLaughlin and his wife Natalie, we haven't introduced you yet. Uh, I know John from a completely different context. Um, but so uh and I couldn't find out online exactly what you're doing with BEE. You're this mystery person, so I'm looking for the mystery to be unveiled. What's your role in BEE and then and you and Natalie can talk about your involvement.
5: Sure. Well, uh, just to mention uh, real quick, the, the other context that we had was, uh, and part of my background in ministry has been uh, with Athletes in Action, so sports ministry, but a heart for discipleship and training internationals. And so after a number of years, close to 20 years, uh, Lord kind of did some prompting and said, hey, um, where can uh, we serve in a way that really we believe we're investing well in, in the nationals over a long-term plan? And so my relationship with Dave Simmelbeck is what surfaced that connection and uh so my role now is what's called a facilitator so those are our staff that are on the field that are out walking these pastors and church leaders through uh through kind of a a systematic training uh that takes place over multiple years and so uh i am um in in simple terms a facilitator but serve in a few different capacities within the organization too
1: yes and so i've been um obviously was on staff with aia as well and um uh, been a part of the women's ministry team, um, coming alongside women leaders in the church or the wives of some of the leaders in churches overseas. And um, will eventually be uh, coming alongside John in the country that he's focusing in on. So that's what I've been doing and still doing some training. I'm also at DTS getting training as well. There you go. Uh, Presently, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's been my role thus far.
2: Well, you're one of our students that we're trying to stay in contact with between semesters, finding out if you're going to come back next semester in light of COVID. (laughs) So uh, uh, you're smiling. So I'm hoping we'll see you either in class or online as the case may be. So, uh, Oh, very good. All right. Well, if you've got Spiegel, you're in great shape. So, uh, 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 he teaches a thing called retro theology. Some people think all theology is retro. So, it's, <laughs> so it works great. Anyway. Um, okay. Well, that's kind of the introductions. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of the ministry, David. Um, uh, Talk a little bit about what the goals of BEE are and uh, and what you attempt to do and the kind of uh, ministers you're working with. Probably
3: should have let Larry do this because he's so focused on it. I can pass, He you can take it real
2: quick. Oh, or, if you want to do that, that's fine. Or he's
3: going to have to correct me. A, whichever one you want to have. Well,
2: well, well, you know, it's always important for an El Presidente to be humbled. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But anyway, uh, well, this, let's just talk about how many countries are you all involved with? Do you know they answer to that question off the top of your head? Yeah, over 20. Over 20, okay. Middle yeah. East, uh,
3: Asia, and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa.
2: Okay. And so obviously you've moved now from your attention to Eastern Europe beyond. Now, are you still connected to Eastern Europe as well, or are these other fields that have developed since, or what's happened in that regard? Uh,
3: We have, uh, after the wall came down, communist wall came down in Eastern Europe, the world, or at least an aspect of it, moved over to Asia and operated in some closed countries in that region. And then really in the last 10 years, well, 15 years, we uh, moved into Middle East, and then 10 years ago into Sub-Saharan Africa. So it's all through partnerships.
2: So is there a strategy? I'll talk about the nature of the ministry with Larry. So is there a strategy to work in access, difficultly accessed areas? Is that kind of a core um, commitment that you all have as a ministry? Well, definitely. Definitely.
3: And uh, really, we'd always been committed to closed or restricted access. And then through different partnerships, we really got introduced into some uh, countries we would call limited access to training and education. So countries open, it's legal to go in and do things. The pastors just have no access at all to any kind of equipping that they need.
2: Okay, so you're making some distinctions here. I'll let Larry sort these out because he can then... Plug it into the other questions that I have, uh, and that is so you've got closed, closed access countries which present one kind of a challenge, and then restricted access countries, that are, and then you have some that operate on the fringe. I know that that or that might be in transition. I might say it that way from being open to tightening up, if you will. So let let's talk about the range of the kind of countries that you're you're dealing with, Larry. What's the sweep here? Yeah,
4: you know, we uh, we really were, were born in an environment of going clandestinely, and it was like the dark side of the moon in the old days, because you had no communication, and you'd be in the country for three weeks or so. And uh, so it was a pretty ominous setting, but uh, things have changed somewhat. And we still have countries like that, where it is high security, uh, very difficult sometimes to get into. Oftentimes, in, or in a few places, we bring the students out of their country to meet in a neutral environment and uh, are always very careful about the, uh, the security issues that are there. In other countries, the security uh, actually has changed through the years. And in some of them, it went from high security and very low profile to a relaxed environment where it became more and more open you know, for practicing and doing what we do. And then it is now closing in again and, and uh, shutting down. Some of these countries, and we can't really mention them because um, in some places it's no problem, in other places it can be a big problem uh, for the work that we do. But many of the countries in Africa, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, and that is more of a limited um, access. Uh, They're not necessarily on, on lockdown, they're not necessarily threatening, but getting into those countries is not easy. And their obtaining and having access to biblical education is extremely limited, and so, we are committed to to multiplying uh, servant leaders and to enabling that to happen for the the global church, going wherever, whenever we we possibly can to make that happen.
2: So are you training pastors only? And if you are training pastors, I take it that many of them don't have means of any kind of formal education in the way we would might normally think about it. So you're Plugging that kind of a hole, is that, is that the kind of ministry that you have, or is it a mix?
4: Well, it is a mix, and it depends on the fields that we go to. Some of them are um, you know, church leaders who have a, a leadership role in the church, but who not necessarily the pastor of the church. But we are equipping the church itself and multiplying their biblical knowledge and education, as well as the, the ministry skills that go into that. So when we go into a, an environment, um, some of them are very rural settings, some of them are more sophisticated city environments. And so there is a, a wide variation as to the type of student that we have. Surprisingly, many of these students that we have um, have been to some kind of biblical training or education. Uh, but it has been so limited and so light and so uh, shallow with regards to the Scripture that when they began, begin to study Galatians or Romans or these other courses that we have with us, uh, it's like this whole new world is opening up to them. And so our commitment is to really infuse a uh, a a solid theological, biblical understanding and respect for the Word of God, so that from that comes their preaching and their, their lifestyle and their marriages and so forth. So the whole methodology that we have in approaching the theological education is very much a non-formal uh, approach. It's not the classroom it's really a, a mixture between discipling slash mentoring and educating through interactive learning.
2: So I have one more question for you and then I'll turn to John. So, so what kinds of areas do you cover? There's, I take it there are some basic theological instruction. On the other hand, there's spiritual formation issues and discipleship kinds of things. What, what's the range of the types of things that you cover when you're interacting with your career, with your well,
4: Well, simultaneously, um, you know, a lot of agencies, I understand, have a similar approach where we're looking at uh, information, Bible knowledge, we're looking at character development, and we're looking at ministry skill development. And so every seminar, um, every course that we go through will involve all three of those. Some of them are more weighted, like if you have Old Testament introduction, New Testament introduction you know, uh, theology, um, Galatians, Romans, you know, they're more weighted to maybe the informational piece, but at the same time, they are learning skills of facilitation and in the interactive learning and the approach that we have to instruction, they are deeply being challenged as to their own personal lives, their character development. It's gonna be very hard for the students to come through our process and not be challenged with the impact and the import of what the scripture is actually saying to them personally. And this addresses what we feel is a a huge deficit uh, in in many of the educational programs that some of these students have had before, is it doesn't even touch their their character or uh, perhaps even their ministry skills.
2: Okay, hey, so uh, John and Natalie, uh, I'm going to use you as the people who go into the field and who you know actually interact uh, with people directly. Talk a little bit about what that's like when you go. How long do you go for? Uh, where kinds of places are you meeting? How long do you meet? Kind of the details of what uh, a mission into a particular site might look like. Sure. And
5: one of the things to remember, we're we're partnering with some other organizations, denominations, and we're really trying to have a wide range of even regions that we're pulling from so that there is kind of an innate um, structure in place for multiplication. and uh, and so some of these pastors are traveling two, three days just to get to a somewhat of a central uh, location. And so they're obviously, uh, have responsibilities with the organization that we 're partnering with, let alone their church responsibilities and familial and whatever else that they might be involved in in their in their respective cultures and so what we found to have kind of a healthy approach that keeps things consistent and moves forward uh, is that we'll meet four times a year uh, for about uh, for about four to five days uh, kind of depending on the structure some there's a little bit of variation on that, uh, but we would kind of arrive on a Sunday evening. Everybody kind of comes together and then we'll, we'll kind of hit the ground running from about 8, 8.30 in the morning uh, to around 4.30 or 5 in the evening. And then they would have maybe some time of rest and work that they're doing in response to the course. Uh, but uh, it, would, it would be set up where they're doing the work prior. So we're really trying to slow down, allow for that transformation uh, and interacting with the material. And then we're gonna really navigate that time um with some modeling on ourselves, but really allowing them to kind of step in and learn um kind of how to, you know, we would we'd use the term kind of ride the bike with our specific facilitation teaching methods that allow them to to really use their cultural context for application. And uh and so it's just a beautiful time of sharing meals together. Um and we'll some locations you could all be staying in the same place. Um some other locations we'll we'll uh, it maybe just depends a little bit on where we're how we're trying to navigate the, lo- the the location accessibility. So,
2: urban or rural, or or is it a case of meeting in urban locations and you're pulling in rural leaders from around the area?
5: That's probably the better way to say it. I mean, it might be kind of rural rural. I mean, it just really again depends a little bit on the on the country, the location, um, uh, cost, right? As we're trying to kind of factor that in, um, some of our models of how we're Building a sustainable ministry factors in them, um, you know, having some sort of active role in the the financial uh, component. And so, how does that weigh into where we meet? Um, but these are rural pastors that um, uh, that really fit better with the model that we have in place. The urban setting, and I'm speaking a little bit more in, in Africa. I understand some other countries and regions. It it, it might vary, but um, it's it's not a model that. Um, necessarily is extremely effective in an urban setting where there's a high volume of resources. It's, it's those that are limited access
4: to those resources.
2: So Natalie, do you always go with John when he goes in and when you do, what are, what are you doing when you're on location?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have not traveled with John yet. That is the goal, but The women seems a little bit unique in that many of the women that are on staff aren't really full-time. For the men, they often go in four times. So they'll travel four times a year. We have a team of women that split that up. So, you know, um, we'll partner up and then you'll go two times a year and then another group will go another time. And so that's kind of how it works, but it's similar. I mean, the goal is to really live life alongside them. We're not trying to come in and stay at nice hotels and then come in and, you know, we want to live life while we're there alongside them. Um, um, yeah, that's, so it's similar in that sense.
2: Talk a little bit about the challenges that are involved in, in this kind of ministry. What, what, are, what are the things that, that BEE has to cope with, one, to function as a ministry, and two, in the areas in which they have to function? Yeah,
5: we could do that. Did you direct that to someone? I think it might have been you to just... Yeah,
2: respect. it was David. It was to David. Thanks, okay, John. good.
5: Yep. Yeah, I just didn't want to jump into there. Yeah.
3: I think the challenges are somewhat varied, but for us, one of the things that we really want to do is come in and, and um, have a place that we can come alongside the church. So it's developing partnerships, really trying to discern what the needs are and what the needs of pastors. And uh, then it's really... Trying to identify with that denomination or with that organization who are the people that are really um, not just in a spot of, you know, elevated spot to train others, but really have the capability and the capacity and the time to do it. And so identifying those students and once we can kind of get across what the needs are, how we can best serve then uh, uh, that really establishes a really successful relationship. Because the idea isn't just to go in and train a group to or educate a group. It's really to equip a group to turn and train others and do so on a uh, multiplying basis, so almost like a pyramid, of it, a different generations that uh, can be impacted. So we have a group that's in one area that's uh, – We've had 20 students started 10 years ago, and they've got over 7,500 students. And so it's able to spread to meet the need, but also to keep a quality going that uh, serves the need for the pastors and the leaders.
2: So um, how how big a staff does BEE have? Uh, we
3: have about 50, I think, probably about 40 facilitators. And uh, then we have admin staff and and uh, in place in different locations.
2: And is that ministry support raised? I mean, are they raising their own support? How do, how do you sustain yourself? Uh,
3: by the grace of God. <laughs> so, so what's really fun is uh, we're all, all on support. And I was a pastor at a church for about 20 years, and I never for, forget uh, being interviewed by B and being accepted by B and given the thumbs up, and it's like, okay, now go raise your money. and then you can be paid. But it's really an adventure. I mean, to me, it's one of the most exciting things I've done because you really pull in people to participate in something that's serving the church in an incredible way. And then you're in the middle of this adventure watching how God's using it on both sides and providing in all kinds of ways.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
2: And, and Larry, as, as I ask you what, at, what you, as you put these people in the field, see as your biggest challenges, let's talk about the difference between the more open locations that people work in versus the more restricted locations that people work in. Uh, And we can keep it on that spectrum and get a sense of the range of the kind of ministry that you have.
4: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Even the open places can be difficult to go into uh, because the living conditions and so forth may be, um, you know, pretty primitive the health risks can be uh, kind of great and you gotta you know, pump yourself up with all the, the stuff to uh, prevent that and you have your mosquito stuff and everything else. Um, so, but the restricted countries can be, um, I mean, our staff, you know, through the years have accumulated some pretty harrowing tales of uh, encounters or escapes or whatever might be happening there. Uh, but there is always the concern, for the most part, if, if something were to happen to us in those high-risk areas, uh, we are mostly environment, in environments where we would simply be deported. And the major risk is the national uh, and, and the students that we are meeting with and what might happen to them, to their families, to their ministries. So we are on high alert in working with them to make those judgment calls and discernment. You know, it's interesting because oftentimes the nationals have less of a sense of um, uh, on alert than we do because that's where they live, you know. And so their guard is down, oh, no problem, we can do this. And we in our training are, are, you know, probably a little more skittish about some of the decisions that are being made. But, you know, finding a place to meet that is clandestine in, in some of those tight places, you know, we have um, leased out a, uh, a, a, cond- or a, a condominium, an apartment, you know, in one of the lost in the labyrinth of high rise apartments. And we go there under cover of darkness and we are locked in for the week, you know, 15, 20 of us with one bathroom and and just sharing life together as we go through the training. Uh, That's just one example of some of the places that that we go to. Other ones are much more open. They may even meet at some kind of a hotel in a nice uh, structure environment where, you know, they have an open um, meeting to uh, a room to meet in. And so there's much less of a tension of looking at the door and wondering what's going to happen. So there's a variety of experiences as we send our staff out.
2: Have there been situations where you've been, for lack of a better description, caught?
4: (laughs) I I can let Dave answer that question.
3: (laughs) My my very first trip with B. I was in a location, and we were staying in an apartment we didn't come out of for – A couple of weeks, but I got to come out a week early. After the first week, we had a great week of training, and then the second week, we had visits from the uh, police, and um, got to experience all that before we were deported. So, I think I got the luxury trip.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And Daryl, you know, I might add here that... um, you know, we we laugh about some of this and some of the the stories, the real stories that we had shared amongst our staff, especially back uh, in the ancient day, more ancient days. Um, But you know, the whole ethics behind it is no minor thing. And you know, we have, uh, you know, I've done a study on that and many of us have done a study on that to really understand civil disobedience, to understand where the limits are, where a comfort level is, you know, to take some of these risks and to go places where it may not be totally legal, but, you know, we don't talk politics, we don't get involved in any of those things. We, we respect uh, the governments, the authorities, in every other way, but we are just committed to teaching the Bible and seeing lives changed. And through those lives that are changed in positions of leadership in the churches, you have uh, families changed, community changed, and we see this as a major positive contribution to any of these fields, all of the fields that we are involved in.
2: Yeah, it's an important point, Larry. You know, uh, I'm, I've traveled in Eastern Europe, uh, actually when the wall was still um, somewhat up, and particularly in East Germany, etc., and traveled into... Eastern Europe, as I mentioned. And one of the things that I smile about as I tell the story are, are the lovely border stops that you had to go through in order to um, move from one country to another, just in your travel. And, uh, you know, I, I said I always found myself very courteous to the guards because behind me was a building that didn't have any windows. And I decided I didn't want to develop a long-term friendship with this person. So uh, for reasons that I might not care to disclose. So um, anyway, it, it is a challenge. And and to uh, operate in in certain contexts where that is a constant reality, Um is uh, something that's foreign certainly to most people in the West uh, and, and uh, yet is something that people uh, have to live with. So let me, uh, let me turn my attention back to John and Natalie for a second and, and talk about when you go in, what what do you find are the things that you teach that maybe are the most challenging? people that you're ministering to? Are there a particular set of challenges or does it vary depending on the location that you're in?
5: Yeah, I think it's going to vary a little bit, but there's some core uh, elements that we have in place just because it's it's something that we we see as, as common between all the regions that we travel to. But our, our, our structure for really uh, multipl- multiplication is entitled uh, multiplying servant leaders. And so there's a sense of servant leadership and really what does that what does it look like and so every culture is going to have um a certain um dynamic where that's played out in their context uh ultimately uh it's not necessarily going to be the model that uh, that jesus is portraying that's where we really try to put a continued emphasis on that so we're working against some historical uh missions efforts kind of some of the paternalism that's just in place um that wasn't necessarily intentional on the front side, but what we're learning about missions and what that communicates to also colonialism. That's a little bit more of kind of a, you know, a tough subject, Uh, but, you know, really being sensitive to that and then coming in with just a real clear message and understanding what the gospel is. So our first two courses is are going to be Galatians and, and then predominantly we're going to really put an emphasis obviously on Romans also. So we're really trying to help establish a good foundation uh, before we move into some other. Uh, other courses, and so the the preaching context, and what does it really mean to have some inductive study methods? Preparing, even planning um, a sermon with a small outline. So we start with just small lesson planning, and then how does that later translate into maybe kind of an outline for for a sermon as it relates to you know, obviously just a understanding, transformation, and application. So we're really trying to to to, to structure around no be, do uh, through through consistently through each of our, our curriculum pieces.
1: Yeah. And I would say, Go ahead, say with, Go ahead. with the women, um, it's unique in the sense that, you know, in most cultures, the women are not as educated. So, I mean, across the board, um, you have to have a certain level of education to take these courses, but you wrestle through that more so, I think, with the women. Um, on top of one of the things that I've observed in just my short experience with B, is, you know, many cultures. Um, are taught not to question, not to be um, curious, right? Or you don't um, question the teacher. And so um, what I've even observed is that trying to teach how to ask good questions of the text and it, it just develop a curiosity is just foreign. Like we we teach our little kids here in the U.S. at a young age how to be curious, how to ask questions but when you're, it's just fascinating to me when you're trying to teach a bunch of women, read the text, what does it say? What does that mean? Like, that's so second nature to us. But so that's one of the challenges I have observed in trying to um, just help the women learn to be curious and ask questions, how to read it rightly. And then how do you challenge others in your culture to question? That with I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of one of the things, the challenges that I've observed with the women um, overseas. That,
2: that is that is an interesting question. Uh, and, and so, this sequence that you all are teaching of no, be, do—you said those three things so fast it was almost one word—is uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, is this movement in which you're actually trying to inculcate? Uh, uh, not just knowledge, but virtue and character and the fruit of the Spirit in such a way that uh, people live out their Christianity in a way that, that uh, hopefully is distinctive from what they're seeing in the culture, etc. Larry, I have a question for you that Natalie's remarks uh, triggered for me, and that is... Um, how much, what's the education level of the various countries that you are interacting with, with the leaders? I mean, sometimes I think we expect um, maybe perhaps there's a difference in, le- uh, in education based on gender by the nature of things. But I also understand that in many contexts, the people who are leading churches also have, to some degree, a limited educational background in comparison to the West. What do you generally find is going on there
4: yeah, well, that you know there 's a wide spectrum on on the the answer to that because some of them we have to check and make sure they are literate because they may show up for the first course and start to go through, and all of a sudden you begin to realize they they just can 't read or write and so uh, and I remember one one fellow who was really a great student and just had a heart for anything, but he just felt so intimidated by everyone else who was in the class, uh, his peers, that he just felt I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be here. And I came to him, met with him privately, and I said, Jacob, you are the reason that I come here. Because I could see in his heart, though he felt he didn't have the educational background, he certainly had the intelligence and he had the capability of being able to engage, and above that, he had the heartbeat to be able to engage. Uh, We also have those who are are pretty highly educated and uh, who are engaging this material maybe at a different level and and focusing on things that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. In fact, you know, it's interesting. In answer, uh, kind of picking up on the question, what are some of the greatest challenges, I think that overcoming a a law, rule-based view of the faith Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest and the first things that we try to address, not by confronting it, but by studying the book of Galatians, by studying the book of Romans. And as students begin to understand the implications of grace and what that means, and they are they they stop thinking of themselves as simply gutting it out and being better and trying harder and trying cracking the whip as a church leader to get other people to try harder you know and they start to discover grace there is a a, a fragrance and a motivation that comes that that just changes the dynamic of the training and the training remember is interactive it's and this is another challenge we have in some countries. They want—they just want the right answer. Give us the right answer. We can write it down in our notes. Give us the test, and we'll give you the right answer back to you. And our whole approach is for them to wrestle with the the questions and the issues, and and then we guide them towards right answers. We don't just leave it in the opinion mode but we move them towards conclusions that they can maybe own at a a deeper level with their own
2: hearts. So you're helping them think out loud about the faith as well as teaching them content.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think what Natalie mentioned uh, with regards to the women applies to many of the men, if not all of them as well. They're not taught to um, you know, the question. They, they, they just don't think in those terms, but to liberate them to, to think that way and to be affirmed. Uh, if I can give a, an example, we had one fellow in one of our classes and we discovered he was a part of a, a, a church network and the people in his congregation had appealed to the higher-ups to say, we need a new pastor. This guy we don't understand what he's talking about when he's preaching. It doesn't make any sense. And so, the, so this fellow started to go through our training, and over a period of time, the people in that congregation got back in touch with the higher-ups and said, remember that request that we made of you? Well, never mind. We have a new pastor.
5: Hmm.
4: And it's the same guy, but he learned to get excited about what he was learning in the Scriptures, observation, interpretation, application, and then he would come on Sundays, and from the heart and from the Word, he began to communicate, you know, the truths of God, and it it was a life changer.
2: Hmm. I'm going to try and do a question kind of in the round, so I want you each to answer it and each contribute something to this question, and it's a little bit of a challenging question, I think, so, uh, and that is, if you could communicate one thing to churches about the kind of ministry that you have that would engender a deeper or a better understanding or appreciation for the nature of your ministry, uh, what would that be? And, um, and I'm stalling to give you a little bit of time to think about that. Uh, and I'm going to begin at the top with El Presidente, uh, uh, and then and then and then those of you who work on the front lines can come in and really shore up the answer. But anyway, David, go for it. What, what?
3: they can per, they can correct gently. <laughs> you know, the thing that I'll often say in a church is that if you've been in a in a Bible teaching church for a year you have more training than most any pastor in the world. And yet nobody in a church in America, hardly anybody would feel competent to stand before and say, Lord, I'm going to feed your sheep and I'm going to lead like the shepherd you want me to be. Nobody would feel competent to do that. And yet this is what most of these individuals are doing. They've turned from Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever. They've uh, done so at great personal price. And they really own their responsibility to feed the sheep, but they feel like they haven't been given what they need. The
2: trough is on, thin. Pardon? The trough is thin.
3: Extremely. Yeah. And so they do, you know, the most natural thing is the law. They've come from religion. It's kind of the way we relate to God. What do I have to do to make him happy? And then on the, on the leadership size, side, most leadership is authoritarian. And so they're leading the sheep in that same kind of way. And uh, so to me, it's both preparing the people in the pew and then or in the pulpit, but also giving the people that are sitting under that teaching the, the access to a genuine relationship with Christ hmm. based on grace and truth. Hmm. Larry?
4: Yeah, well, I have nothing to correct on what Dave said, El Presidente. <laughs> uh, but I would add to that, you know, we're talking uh, deeply biblically focused. We're talking transformational, so that it impacts the heart. And over, uh, we may have uh, three, seven years with a group as we walk them through the material that we have and the levels that we have. And over that period of time it can be a transformational mentoring that takes place. And the third thing I would add is the multiplication. It's not when we're done with the group, okay, send us more people. No, it's now you are equipped to train others. And so that is a major part. We haven't talked about it much here yet, but that's a major part of what we do is to establish a movement in that field that is ongoing so the multiplication continues on the training continues on but with the nationals not with
2: us so and this is a follow-up that just needs a short response but uh so you're not if you think of what you do as a ministry like you think of a school you haven't thought nearly deeply and widely enough about what it is you're actually trying to achieve when you're meeting uh with the people in in these various locations
4: Right. Right. Exactly. In fact, one of the things that we are placing, on we've always had this emphasis and we're we're sharpening this focus. And that is that what our ultimate goal is not simply the training of these students um, or even equipping them to train others. The ultimate goal is to leave behind a national entity that is carrying on the training. And that could be within a, a church network or denominational system itself, or that could be a new entity that is trans-denominational and able to serve the
2: country. Okay, John and Natalie, it's your turn. If you could say something to the church about what you all are doing, what would it be?
4: Yeah, I, I think, uh, and,
5: and Larry alluded to this, but we really do slow down the process, but there is a systematic kind of holistic approach to what we're doing, which is pretty, you know, pretty integrated. And a lot of times there's a tendency uh, that I've seen in my experience with, with cross-cultural missions where we might go for a seminar for a week, maybe once a year, we have training. Um, and it's, I think, profitable in some regards, but if we look at the long-term goal, how does that really build into something that is sustainable uh, within that country and something that's able to be reproduced and and, uh, and and obviously from a long-term standpoint. And so what we do is we really Look at that. Uh, slow it down and allow for those other components that we had dialogued about earlier about understanding the right truth, allowing that to to really be transformative, uh, and then and then applied both personally for these pastors, their families. We really encourage that, uh, and then with their congregation and kind of beyond. Uh, and so uh, I think it's our our education philosophy uh, that's uh, that's a, a unique component to what we're doing.
2: So it's that unique one word thing. No be do. That's right. Go ahead.
1: Exactly. Uh, Yes. What Dave said. Yes. What Larry said. Yes. What John said. And to put that all together, I just think of, and this might be my sports background, but we're coaching. You know, like we are. We're not just teaching them the skills, but then they're going to do it, and we're kind of watching. Right. Like at, at points in our seminar, they're the ones teaching the class, hmm. you know, and work and they're the ones asking the questions. And we get to observe and and critique and encourage um, and then do it again and, and then talk about this. And, um, you know, good coaches usually were coached by good coaches who were, usually, you know, and so the idea is, is that we're, we're creating a legacy of, um, you know, men and women who are passing it on, just like everybody has said thus far, but we're doing it through coaching, not just teaching and saying, but we're, you know, being and they're doing and we're observing. And it's all this package of a holistic um, education. Um, And it's not just knowledge. It's so much deeper and richer.
2: Well, I want to thank you for giving us, uh, kind of an overview of what you do. David, I'm going to give you the last shot here. Uh, tell people how they can find out about BEE and, and the ministry that you have. Um. Okay. Uh,
3: one thing I would add to what we've all said is that uh, we have some really strong partnerships with churches in the United States to come alongside and and participate together to do this. So it's not just trying to pull people in to be and where the end all be all. But it's really um the partnerships are the strongest part of what we do, both overseas and in the U- US. So to get a hold of us, B World, of course, B-E-E-W-O-R-L-D dot org is an easy way. Um I give you my phone number, but
2: Al <laughs> president, I can only handle so much. <laughs>
3: yeah, I can give you I'm thinking of giving you John's. Yeah,
2: there you go. <laughs> Uh, Well, great. So bworld.org is is the best way to find out about what's going on. And it's been great to visit with you all. I'm sure we'll be back to talk more about the kind of ministries you have, perhaps get into a little more detail. But I thank you for this overview. This is a kind of ministry uh, that in one hand is a little bit unique and on the other is really a real need because there are so many people who are ministering as pastors, as you say, who's, who have a heart for wanting to do the right thing, but actually being able to be equipped to do so is a, is a challenge, and uh, your facilitating of that helps to make that happen in ways that are healthy and uh, that are biblically rooted on the one hand, that are rooted in servant leadership on the other, that are committed to multiplication the third. Uh, I, I think I got that sequence right, and and in and in, 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 in the midst of of doing that, grow internally. And with a mutual kind of support, I suspect that one of the things that happens is is that internal networks get built within these countries and among these people where they can encourage one another in the midst of this pursuit between the times that you're with them, and that also encourages them in growth and ministry. So I thank you for giving us your time and wish you all all the best as you continue to minister uh, globally uh, with the truth of what the gospel is.
3: Thank you, Dr. Bach. Really appreciate the time.
2: Yeah, y'all are very welcome. We thank you for being a part of the table. We hope you'll join us again soon. And if you have a desire to suggest a topic to us, do feel free to reach us at Dallas Seminary and the Hendricks Center. And uh, we're always looking for new topics that might interest you. So please let us know. And we hope you'll join us again soon on the table.
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
4: This episode is brought
5: to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? BOWS episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse BOWS podcast
4: at beyondordinarywomen.org.